Welcome to the Wards Auto Podcast. I'm David Kiley, Senior Editor at Wards Auto. Today, we continue our discussion about the auto industry transition to electrification away from the internal combustion engine. And today, we're going to talk about an audience, stakeholder, and big player in the transition that we haven't talked about before, dealers. First, I'm going to chat with Nancy Dunham, the Principal Analyst for Ward's Intelligence on Retail. Then I'll share my chat with Eric Linder, Senior Director of Dealer Relations at Automotive Mastermind about EVs and dealer issues. But before Nancy joins me, let me share a bit of data and news regarding dealers and EVs. A study earlier this year over the summer put out by the Sierra Club admittedly not a usual source for dealer studies, stated that 66% of U.S. car dealers don't have any EVs to sell, and 45% said they wouldn't sell them no matter what. Hello? What? Almost half the dealers in the country say they won't sell EVs or don't want to? If that's true, my first thought is, now we know why EV companies trying to bypass the dealership model. The second thought I have is, wow, government mandates state that in about 10 years, two-thirds of new vehicle sales will be electrified vehicles. So something has to give. In many states, automakers can't even think of bypassing dealers to sell direct to consumers because of the way the dealership industry over the decades has gotten state legislatures to protect their franchises. But I would think those laws are going to go by the wayside if dealers refuse to sell the EVs of established or new companies. And we've already seen some cracks in that with companies like Tesla and the lawsuits that they've filed to enable them to sell direct to consumers. The other side of that study that I just cited says that 66% of dealerships that don't have any EVs 44% want to sell them when they can get them. So that's the other half. And those who want to sell EVs say that stock bottlenecks are caused by supply chain problems, inventory challenges, and EV automaker allocation to dealerships. So Nancy and I are going to delve into these issues. Here's a bit of news, though, that I think is interesting that should make consumers happy, if not necessarily dealers. Starting next year, January, people who want to buy a new or used electric or plug-in hybrid vehicle will be able to get U.S. government income tax credits at the time of purchase. So it could be that the $7,500, let's say that's the max, could be rolled into the down payment. Eligible buyers, including those that bought an EV or hybrid this year, have had to wait until they file their federal income tax returns to actually get the benefit. Now you'll get the benefit at the point of sale. And a reminder that this week, we hope you're enjoying our AutoTech electrification event in person here in Detroit, where I'll be moderating some panels and collecting some podcast interviews to share with you in the coming weeks. Uh, If you're hearing this and you don't know about our AutoTech electrification conference in Detroit, you can go to wardsauto.com and click on the ad for it there. When we come back from this message from our sponsor, American Axle, I will be joined by Nancy Dunham from Ward's Intelligence, who is our senior analyst or principal analyst on automotive retail. 
and she's been following the auto retail scene for more than 20 years. So it's going to be a very good discussion. This podcast is brought to you by American Axle and Manufacturing. AAM is designing, engineering, and manufacturing award-winning vehicle technologies to power a more sustainable future. Their team is pushing the boundaries of disruption all around the world with over 80 global locations in 18 countries. To learn more and join the team that is bringing the future faster, visit aam.com careers. So I'm here with Nancy Dunham from Ward's Intelligence. Hello, Nancy. I am excited to be here. Thank you so much for the invitation. So Nancy, in my intro to our interview today, I cited a uh, Sierra Club survey study that, and I know the Sierra Club is not our usual go-to for for surveys, but especially for automotive retailers. But I, I'm going to use it as a little flashpoint to get us going here. And that is 45% of dealers said they want no part of selling EVs. <laughs> and I thought I get it because I've certainly heard and experienced resistance by a lot of dealers uh, for a variety of reasons to EVs. But to see the number when we are you know, when the whole industry, the whole world in terms of automotive is transitioning to EVs, we've got these government mandates that two thirds of new car sales are going to be electrified in 10 years. Can you give us your, I'm going to call it the drone's eye view of automotive retail as it relates to the transition to EVs that we've been talking about? Absolutely. And please interrupt me if I'm not answering your question um, as you want it answered, if there's a point that I'm not making. I've gone to a lot of EV conferences in Washington, D.C. and throughout the country. And I think you're absolutely right that the different entities that put out these surveys certainly have different viewpoints. In other words, there's no definitive. This is how many EVs, dealers want, and so forth. Having said that, I guess I don't find that number that shocking for a lot of reasons. One is dealers need to invest hundreds of thousands of dollars into service, training, sales, finance and insurance, and other areas in order to sell and service EVs. The other thing, and I found this interesting, I was in Austin, Texas about a week ago, and I was getting a rental car. Everyone there wanted a gas-powered car. And this is Austin, where there's quite a few. I used to live there, and there are quite a few charging stations there. And even people who owned, the, the couple ahead of me owned two Teslas, and they wanted a gas-powered vehicle. So I question how many people truly want EVs or are ready to just completely switch to EVs at this point. Certainly places, for example, Montana, Wyoming, many different places just don't have the infrastructure in place to make people feel confident to drive those. I agree with you. And it's very interesting that you bring up this, the Tesla owners wanting the gas, because I think probably the reason for it. So if they're out of town, right, they're renting a car. When you are traveling, and especially when you're a Tesla owner, 
you know where the chargers are, you know, where mm-hmm. the reliable chargers are and the bet, you know, but when you're in a new place and you have a lot of things to do, whether you're on vacation or you're on business, you don't want the guesswork. I think that's just sort of a practical decision of where am I going to get this recharged? I, oh, I don't know if my hotel has a charger. I don't know where the public chargers are, you know, and all of that. And if you're a Tesla owner and you're renting, I'll just make it up. You're renting mm-hmm. a Mach-E, if that's what's available, you don't have the app on your phone, maybe, that tells you, you know, where you can charge it up and there's unfamiliarity. So I get that. I think we're in a, we're in this gray transition area where it's happening there's resistance, there's reluctance, the infrastructure's not quite here. So we're not there there yet, you know, with EVs. I just need to mention one point. I was talking to someone about a lawmaker who drove their EV across the country. And I said, wow. And I won't mention who it was, but I said, wow, that's that's very interesting with the infrastructure. And what I found out is that they parked They made sure that another vehicle was parked at the charging station that this politician would go to so they could pull it out and make sure that one was available and working. (laughs) (laughs) So I think there's a lot of things like that. I think you're absolutely 100% right. There's a reluctance. Um, The place that I rented my car from had Teslas. And again, this couple did not want a Tesla or any type of EV. I think that, you know, we've seen the lines in California for people to charge. I think that there's a lot of factors, but I, I really believe that besides the cost, which is a big aside for the dealers, their customers are just not responding as positively as, as some would hope. Well, I guess here's what I can understand with a retailer. You just gotta, they, whether it's he or she, they have business to run. And so if they're going to allocate investment to vehicles that they know, they and they know their customer base, right? They know, you know, who their customers are in the market. And even within the market, they know who their customers are. And if they don't feel like there's clamoring demand right now, they are not going to... And, and, and I don't blame them. They're, they're, they're reluctant to make these, these investments, you know, or put chargers at their location, for example. I, I get all that. I'm just looking, though, at this number where they said, you know, they're basically saying, I never want to sell these. But the country is moving in that direction. There's no doubt about it. And you mentioned Wyoming and Montana. I get that. That's you know, it's like mm-hmm. a, it's a hundred miles just to go to the store. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. exactly. So, listen, I suspect there's going to be parts of the country that are going to hold on to their ice vehicles, like the proverbial "out of my dead hands, you're going to take my ice vehicle away," because obviously, if two thirds of new car sales are bevs or electrified in some way by 2032 2033 you're still selling a third of the industry in in ice vehicles plus you've got all the ice vehicles on the road that are going to be maintained for some time unless unless the government starts ordering ice vehicles off the road <laughs> it's just that that doesn't seem likely to me but who knows 
Um, you know, it's interesting. If you don't mind, I'll add one quick yeah. thing, which is I spoke to a major Toyota dealer in the New York City area, and he has a lot of, he's, he's very successful, and he has a lot of younger clients that would like an EV, but it's not practical in some urban areas. You know, they're in a, a tower, a, 20, a 20th floor condo. Mm-hmm. There's three charging stations. Yeah. Where are they going to charge? And as far as the dealers having um, the infrastructure, that's absolutely true. A lot of them did put it in. And then the details of what they needed, the technology changed. So then they had to switch it back over. Plus, there are information security concerns whenever anybody is charging at your dealership. So there's a few things in play. I don't disagree with you, but I just wanted to mention, because I think a lot of people think, oh, dealers don't want it. There's no reason they, you know, they're just booking uh, the system and they don't ever want it. Well, some are, and that's true. That's why the uh, merger and acquisition numbers are so high, as we've reported many times in wards. But I also think that the ones that do want it are are finding it a lot of red tape, a lot of tangly, thorny issues that they're encountering. Yeah, and to your point about the M and A business being brisk these days, I was at a um, Cadillac. I think it was a Cadillac or a GM. No, it was a GMC Buick. And I heard that there were a lot of Cadillac and Buick dealers who have decided, you know, to get sell their franchise to cash out mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. because they don't want to meet the the standards and requirements going forward to sell and service EVs. Plus, I'm just guessing maybe. That just anecdotally, just from covering this industry for 40 years, that a lot of the Cadillac and Buick dealers are older people. Uh, so they might be ready to cash out for the right reasons or they're family owned. And they, you know, there might be one, two, three generations of, of family, you know, involved in the thing. And they're just, you know, they're just ready to cash out. They're they're older. So um, I think you're absolutely 100% right. I, I, I get that too. So one of the things that big reason I, I think and, and, and that dealers are resentful, one of them that we're going to talk about is that in broad strokes, I keep hearing that, you know, maintenance costs and maintenance, maintenance frequency is going to be less with EVs going forward. And what is the current percentage, Nancy, of typical dealer revenue that comes from service business? You know, obviously it varies uh, depending on the stores and so forth. Certainly it's very, very high. I would say, and I'm just guessing myself, sometimes upwards of 50%. I was going to say, I remember, you know, I used to cover like AutoNation and, and and that kind of thing. And I remember numbers being thrown around that in terms of profit, service and parts was like 50% and used car sales it was like 25 or 30%. And then the percentage of their profits that they get on selling a new car, a new vehicle is only like 20%. That's about right. Yes. Yes. And of course they're paying for the floor plan, which is the financing for those vehicles. So they have a real obligation to turn those vehicles as quickly as they can. Mm-hmm. Service is another whole story, um, which you probably don't want to delve into, but the technician shortage, 
the concern about a part shortage now and so forth. So a lot of moving parts there, yes. Well, even but, with my hybrid, personal hybrid vehicle, I'm in a nightmare over right now. The dealership has had my car for two weeks. They didn't die hmm. it until two two days ago. I'm struggling to get answers on when it's actually going to be fixed. It's really, there was a couple of recall updates and one part that has to be replaced. It's not It's not like I took a total car or anything in there. I understand, certainly. Um, so here's one of the things that uh, I have heard too, just again, the, the dealer issues with EVs. I hear the OEs talking about how they're going to make all this money hand over fist from connected services. Yes. Connected services are increasing in tandem with EVs because some of those services, some of those subscription services are going to be technical. The ADAS related services, for example, some of those are going to be there, but subscription based. And the reason all that's going to increase is because an electric vehicle provides a much better sort of canvas, technical canvas to to add all sorts of electrically powered you know services and and features and things like that that ice vehicles just aren't optimized for so now you've got this issue where okay I'm I'm Mr. dealer so I'm I'm understanding your plight not only am I going to get less service business not only from EVs not only am I being required to make all this investment to sell them and service them, but you OEs, are, you're, you're going to make all this subscription based. So what I've heard is that dealers are starting to think, hey, I want a piece of that. You know, if I'm going to make these investments and service this, and I want a piece of this connected service revenue that you're talking about, what can you t- tell us about that and kind of where that is? I think that's an excellent point, and I agree with you. I think there's a couple things. I think that, and you may know, you I'm sure know this better than I do um, and can speak to this, but the OEs are trying to ingratiate themselves with the clients. In other words, they're trying to bring the clients to them, obviously based on Tesla model and so forth. Mm-hmm. That's one way to do it. The other thing to remember with the dealers and where they're coming from, because some people might say, well, why why should they get a cut of it? They're not putting the technology together. I mean, they're not running the subscription service. Why should they? But of course, again, a dealer finances a car. It's sitting on his lot or her lot. They have to sell the car, service the car, certainly finance, get financing for the client and so forth. And it's, it, I can see their point. I can see both points, frankly. Uh, but I, I believe that's why the dealers are saying that. I don't think it's to make up for the service. I think that it's adds another layer of something they need to sell. I'm sympathetic to the dealers on this part because, so I won't mention the company that built the car that I own, but the idea that this company is on top of the other issues that they have to deal with are going to sell directly to the consumer and deal with all of the follow-up is preposterous. Yes. Preposterous. Yes, I understand. This company cannot get out of its own way when it comes to quality and all of the other things that it's already trying to do. 
you talk about a calamity, it would be that. Now, that's because this company has a long legacy. But, you know, if you're Tesla and you started with a blank piece of paper 13 years ago, and, and you've got an idea about, you know, having all your own stores and, you know, and this kind of thing and not dealing with dealers and having contracting with, uh, you know, Penske or somebody to do service calls and what that's very appealing to you rather than dealing with a bunch of strangers, you know, that I agree. Uh, so, so all that. And if you're smaller, like Lucid or Karma or the, these kinds of companies, I mean, some of them are using dealers, but you know, I have to believe that the direct model would be very appealing to, to them as well. So there's a lot in this soup of transition between OEs and dealers in terms of this transition from ICE to EVs. And it's going to be a serious thing. I mean, we're enduring right now the UAW strike because the workers, the union, it sees this as a critical juncture to get what they want as we accelerate the EV era. And so dealers, you know, same thing. They're, they're a major stakeholder in all of this. They've got issues that are going to have to be hammered out in the next five, six years. Absolutely. I, so, I think that everything you said is what I agree with. Okay. So here's, and, and this is the last topic that I want to touch on with you, Nancy, because <laughs> it's, it's both awkward and interesting. How about that? Which is... I like that. I like that. So maybe sort of, maybe our like listeners me. awkward and interesting. Yeah. Okay. Maybe, <laughs> maybe our 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 listeners will turn up the volume when they hear <laughs> hear us preview that it's awkward and interesting. So here's here's the awkward. Nobody, well, especially when you're in a business setting like we are right now, eh, nobody really likes to talk about politics. Okay. I mean, it's just it's it's not. It's not the, what you do when you're working. However, I cannot sit here doing this podcast about this topic of EVs and ignore the fact that we're in an election cycle. One of the two major parties is banging on daily, daily. All of the contenders are banging on about the evils of EVs that elect me and I'll roll back these EV mandates, us, you know, God-fearing, gun-toting, muscle-car-driving Americans don't want, you know, I mean, that's the climate. And I think some of that out there, because it's in the daily juice of this country, whether it's social media, news media, you know, what have you, that half the country is being told that this is not for us. This is not for America. Let's just put a fence around the country, despite what's happening globally. And let's just take care of ourselves and keep driving these ICE vehicles from, you know, into the next century. That is a powerful force in our culture, both with consumers and with dealers. And again, I'm just, this is not data. It's just my impression over the last 40 years. Most of the dealers that I have met and covered and encountered over the last 40 years are conservative. You know, not all of them, but but the majority. And so I wonder if that 45%, that nearly half number that we have cited has something to do with that. You know, it's funny. My late husband was an economist and he he taught me, and I'm sure you know this, but just for your listeners, that you can really move the data as you want to. 
I mean, you can really change the data as you want to. So you can really support whatever you'd like with it. I'm not saying that the Sierra Club did that. I'm just saying I'm a little hesitant about a survey from someone with such a, a stakeholding. Yes. I, I think I your question to me is, is are politicians and dealers sort of trying to push the needle to go back to ICE? Is that what you're asking? Yeah, well, I'm just saying that that how they respond to a uh, survey. And I don't know if the survey had the Sierra Club's number, you know, name on it or whether it was done by a third party with just a. uh, Sure, sure. Fair enough. But I just know that the emotions around transitioning to electric vehicles, the emotions are very strong. They're as strong and loud and powerful as the arguments around climate change itself. And so I just wonder. Based on my experience, again, most dealer owners' principles, I think, are uh, just my, my my impression is that is that well north of fifty percent would self describe themselves as conservative, and it's part of the daily mash of one entire political party in this country, which represents roughly half the country. That that EVs are bad and no good and being rammed down our throats. It's hard for me to discount that as a force in the country in terms of consumer adoption and dealer support. In my experience, whatever you give a dealer, if they can sell it and their customers want it, they're going to sell it. I agree with that too. I agree with that too. The other thing I'll mention, I'll go back to Austin. Uh, Tesla owners didn't want an ICE vehicle. I think what the dealers, and I, I really, I understand where people are coming from when they say this, but I personally don't believe they're following a political agenda. As, as I've had dealers say to me, uh, my color is green. I want the money. I want to sell. So that's what I'm looking for. So while it may impact some people, I find it very difficult to believe that it is really pushing the needle that much. I'm not going to disagree with you, even though I teed up the topic because what you said was perfectly reflected about a year ago. I was on a media call with General Motors mm-hmm. and they were driving their EV commitments and things like that. And they made a dealer in uh, rural Michigan available to reporters. And when I talked to her, I can't remember the name name of the dealership right now, but when I talked to her, I asked her this question. I said, I live in Michigan and I know where you live is way more conservative than in terms of people's politics and sensibilities than where I live. And she said, that's true. But what she also said in so many words is exactly what you said. The color of her is green. And so she recognizes from a business standpoint, she kind of sidestepped a little bit what her own politics are, which is fine. I didn't need to know that. But what she said was that this is where the industry is going and I want to make my dealership a success. So she said in so many words, and I, it was great, great answer. She said, no matter what my politics are and no matter what the politics are of my customers, I want my dealership to be known in this market as the go-to place for this transition. Sure, sure. Differentiate herself from the other dealers. 
Thanks so much for joining us. And I love getting this because the dealer perspective is one we haven't really tapped into yet in this series. And so you gave us a great drone's eye view of the whole thing. Oh, thank you so much. I I truly enjoyed that. And I really enjoyed your commentary as well. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you so much, Nancy. After this message, I'll be back with Eric Linder from leading industry firm, Automotive Mastermind. This podcast was brought to you by American Axle and Manufacturing. AAM is designing, engineering, and manufacturing award-winning vehicle technologies to power a more sustainable future. Their team is pushing the boundaries of disruption all around the world with over 80 global locations in 18 countries. To learn more and join the team that is bringing the future faster, visit aam.com careers. Hello, I'm here with Eric Linder, Senior Director of Dealer Relations at Automotive Mastermind. How are you doing today? Great, David. Good afternoon. Thank you for uh, for having me and for spending some time with me today. Great. So listen, in this podcast, the first seven, uh, eight, nine episodes, we have been talking about the pain largely and the strategy around transforming from the an internal combustion-focused industry to one around electrification. And we've talked to suppliers, and we have talked to the OE people and a few consultants here and there. This is the first time that we're really taking a look at how this impacts dealers. So we are uh, very happy to have you with us to talk about that. So several issues come to mind for the dealer. One is having to inventory EVs that may be moving more slowly than their uh, internal combustion vehicle inventory, training salespeople. Maybe they have a customer base that is hostile to EVs for reasons of preference or politics, but they've got their OEs to contend with that want them to fully embrace uh, the EV era, investing in chargers and service equipment. What is the nature of the work that you're doing with dealers to help them with this transition? Yeah, so generally the work that we perform is really around helping dealers identify, predict, and engage with customers and uh, help them find those those incremental or those next selling opportunities. And while through the, the, the journey of our company, it's largely been based on those ICE vehicles, as you mentioned, as that mix has changed and as EVs have come kind of into the forefront, um, we're now applying kind of that capability to help our dealers uh, also now with electric vehicles and the EV market. I get the sense from talking to dealers, talking to OEs, covering this transition, that there are dealers who uh, are fully embracing, they're all in either from just a straight business standpoint, or maybe they're personally enthusiasts and advocates for EVs. But the flip side of that is I've also talked to dealers and observed dealers, and there are some car dealers in the U.S. Congress (laughs) who aren't so crazy about this transformation, and they're kind of holding things off uh, at arm's length. Tell me what you're finding with your clients and and with the dealer body that you're engaging with. I think your observations are are 
pretty spot on. Um, I don't think anybody could look at this and say it is um, complete, clear, and consistent from coast to coast on how dealers are embracing or investing or or lining up their their excitement, if you will, around uh, this shift to electric vehicles. Uh, and I think the the why behind that is, although we're always you know kind of focused on and talking about the U.S. market, the first thing we have to kind of be remain cognizant and aware is uh, the differences in these markets. You know, 50 U.S. states, you know, however, 200 plus million U.S. Uh, drivers of driving age, rural, suburban, urban, the, the variances, there's often more times more things that are different than they are the same. They may represent the same brand, the same OEM, but a dealer and by nature of their focus on their market they're very much focused on the consumers or the customers in their market and their preferences. And if those customer preferences are not necessarily at uh, what is being delivered in terms of the product or that, that, that vision, then um, that could be one of those sources of that inconsistency. So what are the pain points for dealers right now? Well, I think they could vary. You hit on a few of them, um, facility and charging infrastructure. Sometimes that's now becoming a mandate or a requirement from their from their facing OEM. Um, educating consumers. Um, the majority of consumers are coming, if they're considering an EV, it is their first time considering an EV just based on their relative, let's call it newness to market, especially with the legacy OEMs. Educating the sales staff and helping them to truly understand any potential trade-offs or more importantly, the benefits and virtues that an electric vehicle would offer to their consumer. And it's all kind of happening at once. So even when you take these smaller or sometimes disjointed concerns, when they all happen kind of in one accelerated wave, I think that has a, an exponential effect on how that makes the dealer feel. So one of the things you touched on there is uh, sales training. And I think it's my observation from talking to people, from fielding comments on uh, stories and in social media, that this is a pretty serious uh, issue because salespeople on the floor in a lot of dealerships, let's just say there is a wide bandwidth of quality among uh, salespeople. And so you not only have them you know, needing to answer a, an array of questions about the EVs, but also people want to know about whether or not their EVs qualify for, you know, federal incentives or state incentives. And my reports from from the field is that a lot of salespeople are basically telling customers, yeah, you got to figure that out yourself, you know? I mean, I, the dealerships I go to, it's almost unfair for the salesperson because on one hand, I try to make it as easy as possible based on my knowledge. But secondly, you know, because I, I usually go to a dealership for a new set of wheels every every few years, that it's it, it, it can be a it can be a lousy experience if they don't have the information. And not everybody's going to come in with the same armed with the same level of info I have. So is that some of the area that that you're working in and and what do the dealer principals tell you about that issue and are you working with the principals are you working with general sales managers what's your point of of contact 
Yeah, so I think th that's probably the easiest uh, piece of the puzzle to elaborate on. Uh, as part of the team with the, here at Mastermind, we're actually working throughout the dealership, throughout the organization. That could be, for example, as you mentioned, the sales consultants, but we're also bringing industry insights and consulting all the way up to uh, the dealer principal. What we're bringing to a sales consultant might be tactical training and better understanding on how to understand the benefits and virtues of the electric vehicle ownership experience and how to convey that to the customer. What we're bringing to the dealer principal might be um, you know, leveraging the assets and, and information from our parent company, uh, S&P Global, and bringing them insights into what the electric vehicle market is going to look like today. More importantly, what it's going to look like tomorrow as more models proliferate. So it's uh, it's quite a wide, uh, a deep and, and broad scope, if you will, of information uh, and consultation that we bring to the dealers. So one of the things that's kind of hot right now is expanding the fast charging network as rapidly as possible. Do you basically have a default piece of advice for dealers about installing, you know, I'll make up a number, let's say two fast chargers at their facilities that are open to the public? I mean, I'm putting myself in the uh, the shoes, if you will, of a dealer principal. So if I have a Kia or a Chevy dealer, it seems like a, a no-brainer to me to have a couple of fast chargers on my premises because it gives the owner, it gives my customers, you know, a, an opportunity to come back and I can't, you know, and, and a reason to come back with some frequency. And because I want to keep them as customers in terms of maintenance and everything else, I can give them some credits to burn, you know, maybe at the public fast charger so that they get it for maybe some number of charges free or they get, you know, 50% off when they stop at my place versus my non-customers that if they want to use it, I'm going to charge them full freight. So the chargers, while it's an investment up front, you know, does have a return over time. It's a new new source of revenue for, for the dealers. It's not like any of the dealers I know are pumping gas. <laughs> you know? Right. So 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 that is that one of the things that's happening out there? Is that the right mindset for dealers? I, I think so. I think it ties back to first, you know, some of this is happening simply by nature of facility requirements and requirements from the OEM relative to their dealers. If, for example, you are a building right now, a standalone Genesis dealership, and that brand has a stated vision to be, you know, 100% electric by X, X date, uh, it would not be uncommon to find a, you know, a fat DC fast charging requirement as part of that facility. Mm -hmm. Now, that's the not the easy piece, but that's the more simplistic piece to understand. I think what we'll also are going to see is once those chargers are in, are they tied into an OEM network? Are they tied into one of the standalone, let's call them third party networks like ChargePoint, uh, EVgo, et cetera? Or is the dealer pumping their own gas, to use your expression, and uh, coming up with some direct revenue, direct bill model? probably too early to tell and probably will be largely driven by how either the OEMs require or how the dealers are seeing value in some of these um, charging networks. But ultimately, to be hit on the point, if it's an action or an activity that brings free, you know, their customers back to their 
physical property, their facility, dealers are typically in favor of it because that's half the battle of, of the of the customer experience. Yeah. That's great stuff, Eric. You know, the dealership is at the sharp end of the transformation. You know, we we spend a lot of time talking to OEs and, and consultants and everything, but it really is happening for good, bad, or a lot of room in the middle at the dealership at point of sale. Thank you, Eric Linder, Vice President and National Director of Dealer Relations for Automotive Mastermind. Thanks for joining us. David, thank you so much. And I appreciate you having me on the uh, podcast today. Thanks to Eric Linder for sharing his insights. And thanks to my colleague, Nancy Dunham, for joining us and giving us such great insight on the dealer landscape as it relates to EVs. I'm David Kiley, Senior Editor at Ward's Auto and your host. Remember, we are trying to build up our audience. So please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform like Spotify or Apple Podcasts. But you can also play us right off the Wards Auto homepage. When you see an article about our latest episode, or if you see the podcast graphic in any of our stories, just click on that Listen Now graphic and you'll play right off your phone, tablet, or laptop. Again, I'm David Kiley. Graham Mitchell is our engineer. Until next time, enjoy the ride. Enjoy the ride.